Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know how I know Evan is actually very, very sick right now? I asked him if he wanted to golf later this week, and I gave him the option of like any three days, and he said no to all of them already. So we have two two possibilities. One, he has stayed in Rome and is living his new life in an Italian villa somewhere. Or two, he is actually bedridden and as sick as he seems. For whatever it's worth, in our group chat, we still have not got a message from him post 2 p.m. Any day. <laughs> so either he's going to bed really early because he's really sick, very understandable, or he's still on European time. I think it's a coin toss at this point. I think we yeah. can give like deliver legitimate odds here. We can't actually rule out the fact that he is sick in Italy right now. That's true. Oh wow. Yeah. Both that, can be true. That's a push in that case. Yeah. We have listeners of the wing like new listeners of the Winged Wheel podcast who are like, we oh, when he shows up, they're gonna be like, Oh, we thought this was a bit. We've actually <laughs> never seen or heard of him from this guy before. And people who have been listening for a long time would actually often say the same thing. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. <laughs> Brad and I today again as Evan uh, continues his fight against uh, either COVID or living his new European life, but we're still here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And Evan is not here. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about Detroit's continued preseason endeavors, uh, more impressive play from Nate Danielson, although that won't be all we talk about this time, I promise. We will talk about other things. Says you. I just want to say, you, you're you sitting in Evan's seat, and we joke that Evan can see the future, the Lobstradamus thing. Last episode, you said something that saw a little bit into the future, and we'll talk about that in a second. Rasmussen comp for more storylines from the offseason. There is an upcoming goalie decision, maybe, to make for Derek Lalone and Steve Eisenman, and we'll talk about that, as well as other notes from the preseason. And then we'll get into our Metro Division preview. The Metropolitan Division is next up on the docket. As we head to the Eastern Conference and we cover what will be a really interesting division opposite Detroit's Atlantic in the East. Uh, some small Red Wings news and some NHL news before we head into overtime. Before that, just a quick heads up, folks. 100 tickets remain to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast featuring special guest Ken Daniels. And there's some more that we're working on in terms of special guests and surprises there. After that, we all go watch the Detroit Red Wings game together in the LCA. We're going to sit in specific Winged Wheel podcast sections, and it can either be lower bowl, upper bowl, or even in the gondola. And that's the same view that Ken and Mick have when they call the games. There's going to be merch, prizes, giveaways, an opportunity to meet and greet, get things signed by either Ken or Evan. Or you can just talk to me or Brad if you're feeling especially uh, sad that day and you want to make your day worse. There's going to be a special giveaway to any of the ticket buyers, or the first 400 ticket buyers, I should say, of which 100 remain, which is a co-branded, officially licensed Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel podcast beanie. Previously, we gave away the hats. This time around, we're giving away the beanie. The tickets are discounted, so you get them at a cheaper rate than you usually would, and a portion of the proceeds from each ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So it's an excellent event. This is our fifth time running it. It's one of our favorite things to do on this podcast, it, it, to connect with you guys and and meet the fans and just be able to host the live show really energizes us. And it's a ton of fun to talk to anyone who's been there. So go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or go to the link in the description of this episode to get your ticket. Again, about 100 remain 
for those of you who want to attend. Tickets are finite. We can't open up that much space in the arena short of recording on the ice, and uh, the Red Wings are playing the Bruins that day. So that's Saturday, November 4th, I should say. Saturday, Saturday, November 4th, this is all happening. Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, or go to the link in the description. Okay. Brad, last episode, we were recording at the time, uh, about the same time as puck drop between Detroit and Chicago, the first game of their home-and-home during the uh, preseason. And you said something like, okay, now we're going to wrap up and go watch Nate Danielson shut down Connor Bedard. Funny enough. Here we are. Kind of happened. For one game. For one game. I am a little disappointed that Bedard eventually did get his first preseason goal. I thought the Red Wings were going to keep him pointless over two games, but still... Nate Danielson, you know, Connor Bedard wasn't on the score sheet against the Red Wings. It was a 6-1 win over the Blackhawks. Always a good day to beat Chicago. And uh, he had that that steal. He, he stripped Bedard of the puck. Didn't end up turning into anything oh, of it substance. Into a really good chance. A really good chance. It didn't end up on the score sheet. But yeah, it was a really good opportunity. And all you can think of in that moment was Connor Bedard telling reporters and telling the Red Wings, actually, when they interviewed him, Nate Danielson is the toughest player I've ever played against. That was your Lobstradamus moment. Yep. And uh, it would have been so, I don't know if poetic's the right word, because it would have been Danielson to Edvinson had that goal actually completed, because Edvinson's the one who walked in alone after the steal uh, when Danielson gave it to him. But, hey, you draft a 200-foot center. Better get a 200-foot center. And Danielson is 100% that. And Connor Bedard continues to find that out. We've beat this drum and we're going to continue to beat this drum but yeah Danielson does look like a 200 foot center and Danielson does look like a top six center prospect and Danielson I I thought back a lot to my comments when he was drafted which was I really wanted the Red Wings to walk away from the first round this previous draft with another center prospect because I don't think that they had enough guarantee between Larkin where he is now and Casper and whoever else they had in the system to have a legitimate one-two center punch. I thought between Casper and another top-end center prospect, that's what they needed to be able to walk away and say, yes, between these two guys, we'll have a legitimate number two. Nate Danielson looks so good right now. You might even be able to go crazy and say he could be a future number one center long-term on this team, or at the very least, you can set the expectation that this guy should be competitive and playing right behind Dylan Larkin in the lineup which is looking sooner rather than later. The give Danielson his nine games or his you know NHL interview camp, their voices are getting stronger, and I think it's justified. Yeah. Uh, if this was two, three years ago, I think that conversation would probably be taken a little more seriously because of, well, the immense opportunities available on the roster. <laughs> what a diplomatic way to say the Red Wings really sucked. Yep, yep. We're, <laughs> We've uh, learned to be that way. We're still at the optimistic stage of the season, so I'm being nice, but... Danielson would likely have gotten at least a few games to see what he looks like at the NHL level against full NHL competition. I'm not saying he's not ready for it now. There's still mistakes that are being made. But again, everybody who's listened for any period of time knows I'm perfectly accepting of mistakes in the NHL. If the upside is worth it and the amount of great plays and good plays Danielson makes far outweigh the mistakes that he has made in this preseason. So that would not be a concern for me. It's just a roster. Like you're not waving someone to give a guy a nine game look. That's the reality of it. And we've talked about this at length. 
when a young guy comes and actually takes a roster spot full time, you waive your fourth line guys because who cares? You know, as much as we all love a Christian Fisher or who the hell ever else in that role, if Marco Casper comes and says, or Nate Danielson or whoever goes, that's my spot, the Red Wings would waive those players in a heartbeat. Yep. They're not waving them for a nine-game look. They are not losing a potential full-time NHLer just to get Danielson a little more legs. So if Danielson's on the opening night roster, unlikely though it is, it's because they're giving him a look to stick around for the entire season, which again, I don't think is the right play here despite how good he's been. So... It's going to be an interesting decision. And obviously this conversation will, in terms of like managing waivers in the roster, will bleed into the goalie conversation we're having later. So keep that in the back of your mind. But yeah, Danielson, by what he's done in the preseason, has earned a look. He likely won't get one for those reasons unless there's multiple injuries. And also, he didn't exactly light the world on fire last year in junior. As we know now, that was mostly because he was on a terrible team. Yeah. This should probably be the year where he can go light the world on fire with a slightly better team, but obviously he's a year older, a year better, and just take a whole year to absolutely skyrocket his confidence, let him go put up 80, 90, possibly 100 points in the dub, and then come into camp next year feeling like a million bucks. Yeah, it's amazing what an NHL preseason in an NHL training camp and a prospect tournament can do for a prospect like Nate Danielson. You've seen it before where these guys come in and have they grown that immensely over the course of three or four months? I think they've grown significantly, but they haven't fundamentally changed as players. But you show them what the next level is like and it it, it changes their brain chemistry almost and how they approach the game and, and how they view the competition of their peers back in the you know major junior hockey in Canada or whatever wherever they're playing. So yeah, for Nate Danielson to go back to the WHL and bring back some of that experience and translate it into, yeah, I'm way better than, than these guys and have that confidence and go and dominate and work on the things that they send him back with. And that's something that every team does. But, you know, we've talked to Chris Draper about this before. We've talked to various Red Wings personnel about this before. They really emphasize, they give these guys the tools and, and the areas to focus on, like go back and work on this aspect of your game we really want to see the offensive output or whatever it might be, that could be hugely beneficial. There's an upper limit to it. Like, you can't do it forever, but this will also be his fourth year in the CHL, and so after that, he'll be eligible for the AHL once that season ends. So this is his last opportunity to go do that. But you know what? The fact that he's even made it a conversation and so much of our airtime has gone to Nate Danielson already. Like, if you made us predict back in June, or right after the draft, I should say, which prospect we'd be talking about the most for, is this guy going to make noise? We would have said Marco Casper. Or, you know, if he didn't get injured, Carter Mazur. We wouldn't have predicted Nate Danielson, so this is a great problem to have. Now, we talked about the games. The Red Wings absolutely thumped the Chicago Blackhawks 6-1 in the first game. And some other notes from there, Rasmussen and Comfort looked really good together. Like, that, they had a really strong connection that game, and that could prove to be, you know, a good fit I've talked a lot before about the lines. You're, we're going to be surprised by maybe some of the chemistry that you find with all the new players coming in. It's not exactly you just put the best players first, second, third, fourth in line. And, you know, is it going to be Copper Comfort on the second line and can Rasmussen play on the second line or third line? 
you, we might see those two glued together. Yeah, uh, that would lend my theory of get a line that's very, very defensively good for your second line and capable offensively. I don't think Comfer or Rasmussen are going to be offensive dynamos, but we both know what they can do on both sides of the puck, and that's almost entirely positives. You slap them with a David Perron or a Robbie Fabry or whoever, and again, you don't have a good second line, but you have a capable second line. And if that's where the chemistry lies, that's the path they should take because you can force feed certain players on certain lines, but it doesn't always work. No matter how much it works in theory, it doesn't always translate to the ice. So if this seems to be the ideal running mate for Comfer, yeah, don't overthink it. I've really liked Confer's game over the course of the preseason. Like He's come as advertised. And like you said, their impacts are meant to be had at both ends of the ice. And that's what Derek Lalone and Steve Eisman have both talked about quite a bit with this team, which is they need to score more, yes, but you know they don't have all the talent in the world where they're going to be one of the elite scoring teams, to say the least. They're still going to be probably be in the bottom third of offensive production in the league. And so if you want to win games, you have to be tough to play against, not just on defense, not just in net, but also your forward group has to contribute. We saw last year that's the kind of system Derek Lalone deploys, and Confer is going to contribute to that. And, you know, Rasmussen staying healthy should. Like, there's a little bit of offense added, but a lot of the defense as well. And, and Detroit's basically going to be a stingy team to play against, or at least that's their goal. So, yeah, that showed well. I, it made me a lot more confident in some of the middle six connections there, although not terribly surprising. The The rest of that game, uh, Perron was also also stood out. Tomisto and Soderblom got you know much-needed goals. They had a little appearance for themselves, and ultimately the Red Wings beat Connor Bedard, who stayed off the score sheet, 6-1. Two days later, they were in Chicago, played again, and uh, Berggren and Valeno both stood out, actually. Two guys who you're like, if they want to seize a roster spot, they really have to stand out. I don't want to say the clock was ticking on Berggren and Flano to, to say, to add them both in there, but certainly they hadn't done a ton to stand out during the preseason and they look great. Berggren had a great feed to Valeno who buried it. Uh, Valeno on his second goal showed some really nice handles protecting the puck. Nice give and go with Costin and sniped it home. That was about all that there was to write home about for Detroit. They ultimately lost 4-2, but yeah, nice showing from both of them. With Berggren and Valeno now, we, we've got a good feel for what they both can do and are capable of, and even offensively, especially offensively, actually, it's just been a consistency issue. You know, we've talked uh, before about how good Valeno's release is, and it's a wonder why he doesn't score more goals with it. Well, there were two good examples of it. Berggren, we know what a great passer he is, so, you know, him having that cross-ice sauce to Valeno for the one tees. Not surprising, but still very pretty to watch. And if you're going to make a roster and make an impact in the NHL, you have to play to your strengths. We watched too many years of the Red Wings trying to fit, you know, round pegs into square holes. If these guys can make an impression doing what they do best on the ice, which for Valeno, transition, skating, you know, control, and then actually finishing the plays, it's a huge step for them. If Bear Green can be... Con- consistently dangerous with the puck on his stick in the ozone that will force Lalone's hand and they'll have to play because they you know what's uh the old saying be undeniable yeah that's that's the path for a lot of these guys and you know i'd rather see valeno and Berggren have a game like that and force uh you know a christian fisher or 
you know, pick another veteran into the press box just because in a situation like this, you would hope Ty goes to the young guy. And if they make it an easy decision, all the better. Speaking of young guys, Connor Bedard ended up getting his first preseason goal and it came against the Red Wings and it was, you know, with time running out, scored the empty netter. And it was so funny because he looks so annoyed by it. Part of it is he has like an all business attitude on the ice. He's just kind of, I don't want to say stereotypical like that, but you see a lot of the players who come through the same path as him and he has that almost Sidney Crosby like personality, but I think with a, a little bit more personality that we've seen so far, but yeah, he looked genuinely annoyed that his first, not official because it's preseason, but first NHL goal was an empty netter. Like he, he was actually scowling. It reminded me of, um, what was it? Ovechkin's 802nd goal that came on the empty net and he did everything in his power to not take that shot and Kuznetsov just kept giving (laughs) it back to him until Ovi put it in the empty net. You know who I feel bad for on the Blackhawks? Connor Murphy. Because the announcers are so used to just saying Connor Bedard's name at any given opportunity because that's essentially all the team has to look forward to this season. The last game, they accidentally said Connor uh, Murphy like two or three times because it's just muscle memory for them at this point. Well, I can't wait to see Connor Murphy go up against Mason Raymond in a game on ESPN. That's going to be a great one. Oh, please let it end. (laughs) I, I hope. For the sake of hockey, the announcers don't ruin Bedard. We like Connor Bedard. We hate the Hawks, but we like Connor Bedard. He's fun as hell to watch. There's not many reasons to not like him other than he got drafted by the Hawks. But if they do this thing where it's all they talk about and it's never ending, the enjoyment does wear off over time watching him when the other nine players on the ice at any given moment do not matter. Brad. It is the best prospect since McDavid to come through the draft. He's in an original six market. He's in a major metropolitan market. He is like, it is a broadcast favorite market. It will go this way. I know. I, everything you said is exactly why I'm thinking what I'm thinking. <laughs> and then we watched the last two games in preseason where all those concerns were fully realized. <laughs> I, I roll with it to me. I like it. I like, can, I get I can it. enjoy Bedard's game. Yeah. I will root against Chicago Blackhawks success forever because that's just the right thing to do. But I, you know, I enjoy watching him on the ice. It's akin to like how a lot of people feel uh, Trevor Zegers was covered, or it's akin to how honestly how a lot of people feel that Red Wings fans talked about Mo Sider in his first two years. Like it's going to seem annoying if you're on the outside, and especially if you hate the team that he's playing on, which is most people. Yep. <laughs> So the Red Wings preseason will be wrapped up by the time we record our next episode. They're playing very shortly uh, at the time of recording against Pittsburgh on Wednesday night. They played the Leafs on Thursday and on Saturday as well. And we'll be back with you on Sunday for a preseason wrap up as well as our Atlantic Division preview. But for now, let's talk about something that the Red Wings have going on, which is their goalie situation. Billy Husso's the starter. We all know that. And they signed two goalies this offseason. They signed James Reimer, who is a veteran goalie. Someone who's a little bit more proven, you know, came in to be a little bit more steady behind Billy Husso. Not that they've lacked veteran goalies in the past, but Reimer's success maybe or ability to demonstrate success was recent enough where they believed that he could contribute. And they also signed Alex Lyon, who's an interesting goaltender as well because he's, you know, not younger. He's still 30 years old, but he came in cheaper. Two years at 900000 
uh, compared to James Reimer's one year at 1.5 million. So, you know, neither of them are going to be massive impacts on the cap, but you look at the dollar value and you might think, okay, Reimer. Lyon did come in and practically save Florida last year. So he's demonstrated that he can come in and make a difference. I think they're both really good goalies. And they both played really well during the preseason, I think. The general notion has been that it's Reimer's backup job, but maybe the Red Wings are going to try to run with three goalies. Maybe they're going to try to wave Lyon and get him through waivers. But there's an added wrinkle now of Tampa Bay has lost Vasilevsky to surgery for you know a good chunk of the start of the season. And is Alex Lyon going to make it through waivers? I doubt it at this point. So what do the Red Wings do? Right now, the answer seems to be carry three. Realistically, you know, you don't sign these guys with the hope that you lose them on waivers. And not only the Vasilevsky situation, there are goaltending needy teams out there. I mean, who is it? Spencer Martin got claimed on waivers and he was one of the near statistical worst goalies in the NHL last year. Yeah. The goalie market's desperate for a few teams. You know, look at what LA's parading out this year. I don't think they would mind some insurance. So, yeah. It's kind of that catch-22. Lions got two years and he's younger. You would think that's the ideal scenario is that he wins the job because you get the extra year, you save a few bucks on the cap, and hey, if all goes well, maybe you get a few more years out of him after that. Reimer does not have many years left. No, he's 35 right now. So if he's the better goalie, he's the better goalie, and and you you run with it, and then, okay, the Lion experiment was great good luck in tampa whatever it might be but i i wouldn't be shocked if they carry three honestly i i think the way the math plays out they don't need to carry more than 13 forwards you know they've got seven nhl defensemen it seems pretty clear edmondson's grand rapids bound so you could go 13 7 and 3 yeah it's a tough thing to juggle not every team does it well but especially when you had a huso burning out like he did last year Maybe maybe this was the plan all along. I really, truly don't know. The thing is, like, I just don't know how sustainable it is over the course of a season. Some teams do it, and there are weird situations. And it's not like you hope for an injury or you hope for one of these players to start playing poorly. But eventually, you're essentially just trying to find a window where it makes sense to reduce it to two. Like, you can roll with three. You're right. You reduce the amount of you know forwards and defense, and you have less flexibility on that end. But you don't want to have that reduced flexibility over time. There's so many injuries in terms of skaters on the ice as opposed to goalies that you need to have that roster spot at some point. The Red Wings aren't going to be a cup competitive team, but they certainly don't want to be throwing away games or you know playing shorthanded or, or whatever. So you're going to think, okay, which one of these goalies is going to get hurt first or which one's not going to be the hot hand or is, is someone going to come out you know, like Nedeljkovic did over his last couple seasons and really just make the issue clear uh, outside of the Red Wings are other teams going to solve their goalie situations where it's no longer going to be a big risk to get, you know, line through waivers or whatever it might be. So I, I, I fully agree. I think if they're both playing well, you don't give them away for nothing. There's also like the offhand chance that maybe Tampa makes a trade. It'd be so weird to sign a goalie and then trade, but I could see teams being interested in line. It wouldn't be, you know, you're not moving first round picks here, but if you think you're stuck at a dead end and you turn around and you have no escape, then you think, okay, I'm going to get something for this guy rather than wave him. Also a chance? It's non-zero chance. Eisenman signed two goalies this summer knowing 
what this was going to be. You can say anything you want about the Vasilevsky injury. This time of year, there's always teams that need goalies. Eiserman was aware from the moment both these contracts were signed that there's a high likelihood one of them got claimed on waivers. Yeah. So he was either comfortable doing that or he was comfortable carrying three. We don't know what the preference is yet, but whatever it is, it's not going to be a, oh, I can't believe he did this. No, it was in the cards the whole time. So For me, I think it's as simple as he's tired of a lack of solid goaltending behind Huso or whoever the starter is. Like Nedeljkovic was supposed to be a solution to that, if not more. You know, he was maybe supposed to be a starter, like an interim starter of the future between like up until Kosa, but I digress. So it's like a volume of talent kind of thing. So that's a decision that's going to have to be made. We'll see how these last, you know, three games change anything, if at all. I think it would have to be pretty massive, either good or bad in one direction to make it so the Red Wings don't have a a tough decision on their hands or, or the choice to carry three. But we'll see how these games shake out. But yeah, Huso's backup is certainly not solidified. Well, the Red Wings are going to have a lot to sort out over the rest of those preseason games too. What are the lines going to be? If you're worried about you know who the second versus third line center is going to be between Comfer and Cop, uh, Fabry's back, which is good. So thankfully that injury wasn't too long term. But you know, are any other injuries going to come about? All that's going to have to be sorted out over these next three games. But for now. Why don't we jump into our Metro Division preview? The Eastern Conference Division opposite the Atlantic. It's going to be interesting this year. And I know I've said that about every division, but the top of the Metro is going to have some you know, notable contenders. I think Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers are three of the consensus picks in that mix. Some folks might say Pittsburgh adding Eric Carlson are in there, but the Metro Division is going to be, I think they're going to be challenging quite a bit for you know both wildcard spots even I don't really know what to make of everything below those consensus picks though so why don't we start and why don't we start with the team that's been most on people's uh, minds this offseason which is surprisingly enough the Columbus Blue Jackets not because of their players but because of their coach but what happens with Columbus who outside of the, the coaching drama they're in an interesting position as they've added talented young players and maybe aren't going to be the bonafide worst team in the Metro anymore. Uh, I wouldn't, I'd be shocked if they were the worst team in the Metro this year. You know, Patrick Line missed a lot of games last year. Zach Wierenski missed a lot of games last year. A couple other key players missed some time with injuries. So the natural regression to the mean would be a positive for them this year. Just if they can stay healthy, they added Severson, Provorov, Fantilli, a couple other depth pieces. They're better. They're better than they were last year. Their goaltending, as always, scary as hell. Uh, so that could sink yeah. any progress they make. Uh, not exactly an Elvis Merzlikens truther over here. <laughs> uh, he's had his moments, but yeah, over the course of a full season with, I think, Tarasov's injured, so Spencer Martin backing him up. Not a recipe for success, but they're good enough that I don't know if they're a lottery team for sure. They might. It wouldn't shock me if they were. But I also, it wouldn't shock me if they're much better than that. So I don't know what to make of Columbus, but I'm not as quick to write them off as everybody else seems to be. There's a lot of talent on that team. Like Jenner, Fantilli, Goudreau, Line, Kent Johnson. It's a lot of talent up front. And, you know, Fantilli, 
Johnson, like those guys are going to make some noise. Roslevic, like you mentioned, down the middle. If they stay healthy, they had like catastrophic injuries last year, catastrophic amount of man games lost where it was like every single day. The Red Wings have been in this position too where you're like every day is a new long-term injury and you're like, what are we supposed to do? They could be a sneaky good team who could potentially even be in the wild card mix in the Metro. I would not be surprised. The Carolina Hurricanes. If you want to talk about favorites, they're on the opposite. They absolutely, I think, are well positioned to take the Metro. What do you make of Carolina? They added Orlov. They added Bunting. You know, they brought back Tony D'Angelo. They have Brendan Lemieux for the all-hated team. But a lot of movement. Anytime you're in a, a position like Carolina is, which is should be a cup contender, you're going to have a lot of people coming in and out. Shane Gossespierre, obviously, on Detroit now, no longer there. Pacioretty, which was never really part of that situation. Andre Kasha. A lot of kind of players coming out. But overall, this is a Carolina team that should be one of the contenders coming out of the Metro to potentially even challenge to make the cup finals. Champion to the regular season, damn near every year. Yeah, no kidding. The the new San Jose Sharks, well, hopefully for their sake, they're not. But that team that is just a wagon every year in the regular season, they do win playoff rounds. They just haven't been able to get to the cup final yet. Svechnikov, if he stays healthy this year, because don't forget, he blew it his ACL right after the trade deadline, and they were absolutely screwed on that. Couldn't replace him. Didn't have him for the playoffs. Huge loss. They had, like, no left wingers. No, almost none. And uh, the Orlov edition was a sneaky good edition. I mean, what's not to like about Carolina this year? Like top to bottom, they are once again, a fantastic team coached with one of the best systems in the league. So it's hard not to buy into Carolina, at least for the regular season. They are also very much in a, you keep your guys, even guys in contract situations because you're making a run for the cup. So it doesn't matter who they have coming up on a, a, you know, contract year, you have to be going for it if you're Carolina right now, especially with teams like Tampa Bay on the downswing, Florida, maybe not. They're kind of nebulous. Toronto is going to be Toronto. Like this could be Carolina's East. I agree with you, Svechnikov, that he has to be a main driver of that. And health is a concern for sure. Kotkaniemi too. I think they're asking a lot of Kotkaniemi and that goes back to the offer sheet, but he could still be a really talented player and contribute in a way where, he makes a meaningful difference. We'll see what adding bunting to the mix does as well. Bunting, bunting is kind of like a, doing what Bertuzzi's doing, which Bertuzzi's going to Toronto playing with ultra-talented players, same ones that Bunting was playing with, and Bunting is going to go and play with, you know, Aho or and Jarvis and whoever else. So he, I could see him making a, a good dent in that mix. Now one of my personal favorites, because I was right to bet on them last year, the New Jersey Devils. You know, last year was a huge turnaround for that team. And we saw complete 180 compared to their performance from the season previous, which a lot of it was dragged down just by terrible goaltending. And that's not completely solved this year, but you saw enough talent from their goaltenders where you believe in them as players. Or you no, be- I don't. Not even a little. You're still that dead set against their goaltending? Their goaltending is Okay. Their goaltending is the most complimentary I can be. Their goaltending is poor man's Chris Osgood. They didn't lose them many games last year, although they did lose them some. So a poor man's Hall of Famer in some people's mind? Yeah. <laughs> but they didn't steal many games, if any. 
they didn't lose many games. Uh, Blackwood did, but he's gone, so that kind of helps their case. Addition by subtraction. Listen, anybody who's listened to any other divisional or NHL previews this season has heard people rave and go on and on about how good New Jersey is, top to bottom. Like, they've got young players, they've got old players, they've got unreal top six forwards, they've got great depth at forward, unreal defense. They're loaded. That's what everybody's saying. And I agree wholeheartedly with every bit of it. The only thing that could sewer the Devils this year, outside of like freak injuries, is their goaltending. Full stop. If they get goaltending, they're a legitimate full send cup contender. If they don't, they probably have a repeat of last year where they go out meekly in the first or second round. I'm not so concerned about playoffs right now because I think playoff success, what we've seen over time, is it's a different beast. It's one thing to be a good enough team to get into the playoffs, but then especially if you're comprised of newer guys and, you know, Heischer, Hughes, like their talent comes from young players, it's another thing to learn how to win in the playoffs. You saw Tampa Bay. It took them a long time to learn how to win there, but once they did, they started winning. And I'm not, I mean, Tampa Bay has Vasilevsky, so it's wildly different to New Jersey, but in terms of their skaters, I see a lot of analogs there. Uh, Vanacek and Schmid, they put up decent numbers last year. Like, yeah, Blackwood was not good, did not perform well. So yeah, addition by subtraction. But I don't know. You have Jack Hughes. You have Nico Heischer. You have Toffoli now. You have Mercer. You have Brett. Like, uh, they have so much talent, especially that one-two punch of Hughes, Heischer down the middle. That's the stuff of envy across the NHL. And Jack Hughes is only getting better. Let's be honest. Like, he is going to be good for a long time and getting better. Now, did they get, they lost Severson, you know, Tatar walked, and I know he was invisible during the playoffs, but contributes during the regular season. That's just kind of his MO. I I don't see this team taking a step backwards. You add Luke Hughes to the mix who looked dynamite. Like, I see this team getting only better. Will they have the playoff success? I don't know. That's not part of the preview in my mind, but they are the most well-poised to take the division title away from the Hurricanes in my mind. What do you make of the Islanders? I know what you make of the Islanders, but it's just funny to hear you say it. Are we talking about this specific season? If we're yeah. talking about this specific season, they're all right. Yeah. They got arguably the best goal in the league. They're pretty solid top to bottom. Nothing that excites you, but not a lot of weaknesses. If you want to talk about the uh, New York Islanders five-year outlook, oh, then we're going to start absolutely planning the funeral. But for this season, yeah, they're, they're all right. I, I don't, that's the thing. I don't have any strong opinions on them because they don't have anything worth having strong opinions on. You know what I mean? They are the most boring, solid, okay-ish roster in the NHL. Like, I don't know how else to describe them. They're going to be a playoff bubble team. They're never going to look like a contender. They're never going to look like a lottery team. You're going to look at their stat line at the end of the year and go, oh, yeah, I didn't realize these three players that I barely think about all had 25, 30 goals. Brock Nelson's, like, probably, if you think about underrated players in the league, yeah. Think less about Barkoff and think more about Brock Nelson, I'd say. Yeah, honestly. They are what they are at this point. They're going to be that for a couple more years, and then their team's going to get old and real bad real fast. But that hasn't happened yet, so they're going to be there. They're uh, the competent bum of hockey teams. I think they're a team that you, we, I don't want to say people have been praying on their downfall for a long time, but they've been looking to the future and they've been saying, well, they're not really well positioned for the future, and the roster now would have to be way way better than the sum of their parts for them to be of consequence. 
And they've done that quite a few times. Like they've had off years, of course, but all in all, I think you're right. I think the Islanders have been a very competent team. You know, they went out and added Horvat, which I think stayed a lot of the doubts. Horvat Nelson, is that going to be one of the best one-two punches down the middle? No, but you have Horvat Nelson, Barzell, and then, you know, Anders Lee in there, and who else would be there? Palmieri. It's, it's it's enough where you're like, you can see them making noise in a potential wildcard spot or something to that effect. Maybe even a third divisional seed. I'm going to make a statement about the Islanders that's going to make tremendous sense to everybody who's been watching hockey for five plus years and make absolutely no sense to anybody who's just getting into hockey. Yeah. And it's, in my opinion, the most accurate possible description of where the Islanders are right now. Mm-hmm. They're new Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. If you have Sorokin Varlamov, that's probably the best on-balance goalie tandem in the league. I think that moves them past, like, I think that's you steal playoff rounds level goalie talent. Yeah, Minnesota made it to a conference final once. Yeah, <laughs> you forget that, eh? Yeah, right? So, Palak Pulak is such an unreal pairing, too, or they can be, I should say. Just good enough to make the playoffs some years, just bad enough to miss it other years strength at key positions that every once in a while, like you said, they're, they could go on a run, mm-hmm. but the problem for the Islanders, those runs have already happened. Yeah. Uh, do you see another one coming again? It would have to be an absolute Sorokin heater, like JS Jaguar level of playoff heater. Oh man. Whenever, whenever people who are new to the sport talk about, you know, Oh, I want to know some of the previous storylines or, or what are some like, legendary playoff stories. J.S. Shiger and how good he was the year he won the Conn Smythe and Anaheim lost in the finals was like, that was an all-time goalie performance. That was a really good playoff to describe that era of hockey. What uh, what what happened that year? Uh, a really boring team that nobody liked won the Stanley Cup. Uh, a goalie let in one goal in a playoff series and a guy got knocked out cold in the middle of a Stanley Cup final game and scored five minutes later. <laughs> That was one playoff, like, year. Insane. <laughs> the New York Rangers. The storylines are never lacking in Manhattan. I think we're having more conversations now about Lafreniere and where he's going to be playing. I'm already seeing that he's having a disappointing preseason, and people are concerned that, no, he actually is a bust and what's going to happen here. Is Capocacco going to continue to emerge? How does Zibanejad, Trocek that whole core down the middle work for them. They added Blake Wheeler. You know, they had Kane for that little stretch there. They had Tarasenko for that little stretch there. They obviously tried to make a run last year. It didn't work out. Where does New York factor in, especially with, you know, I think more more potent teams or more potent on paper in terms of New Jersey and Carolina? Or, or are they in the mix with them in your mind? Doesn't matter. The New York Rangers are good enough that they're going to get into the playoffs, whether that's a divisional seed or a wild card. They're good at every position. Maybe not the deepest team in the world at defense. And, you know, depending what Lafreniere and Kako are, maybe not that deep up front, but the star talents there, Panarin, Zibanejad, Adam Fox, Shesterkin, they're getting in the playoffs. They're in the same boat where the Leafs are, where the regular season doesn't matter. Yeah. What do you got in the playoffs? Because a lot of the Rangers' key players had phenomenal regular seasons last year and then just disappeared against the Devils in the playoffs. It's, it's, it is what it is. I don't know if they're going to finish second in that division. I don't know if they're going to be the second wild card, and I don't think it matters. 
it's uh, you think about it the same way as the Islanders, where you have Shesterkin, so automatically you are one of the best teams in the league at goalie. Like Shesterkin, I don't care, had an off year or part of an off year or whatever, he is still among the best goalies in the world. You have Adam Fox, who's one of the best defensemen in the world. You are going to find success, even if the whole you have holes in your lineup. That's the difference, actually. You talk about, you know, what does Detroit need to be to overcome the holes in their lineup? Well, you need to have... A Shesterkin and Adam Fox and an Artemi Panarin. Yeah, but I digress. It'd be very nice to have, yeah. Pittsburgh. And I think you're going to, for the first time, show a soft spot for Pittsburgh because one of your favorite ever non-Red Wings is now a Pittsburgh Penguin and Eric Carlson. Did Kyle Dubas come in and stay the bleeding for Pittsburgh? And can they continue a run of at least you know, pretending they can be contenders for Crosby and Malkin's era. So here's the opposite of the last couple of teams we talked about. We know Crosby's going to be good. We know Malkin's going to be good. I think we can pretty safely say Carlson and Latang are going to be good. Uh, do they have the goaltending? What is Tristan Jari? We still don't know. He's had flashes and prolonged periods in the regular season where he looks great. He had one of the worst playoff series in the history of hockey. Yeah. It, I don't know. I like the moves Pittsburgh did over the summer. I like the way Dubas revamped this team and, you know, shored up the depth, acquired Carlson while not screwing over their cap situation for the next couple seasons. Years three and four uh, will be a different story, but they won't be contenders by then. So they don't care, nor should they. I think they're better. I like their roster. I think they can make some noise in the Metro if they can get a save consistently. You want to know my hot take? I don't believe this. I just want to say it on air. Alex Nedeljkovic turns into a number one goalie. I'd cry. <laughs> For <laughs> Ned's sake, I hope so. Yeah, we like I the would guy. love it. We love Ned. Yeah. Always, always a fan of Ned, but that would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the most Red Wings thing to ever happen. That would hurt. No, that would be actually the kind of support where they get the kind of Ned who can be stable, gets enough games so he can keep his rhythm, and then even if Jari does falter, then that's what gets him through the regular season and gets him into a playoff spot. But yeah, their their playoff success is going to have to depend on goaltending because yes, they have Crosby and Malkin, and you know Red Wings fans like it to admit it or not, that is still one of the best one-two center punches in the league. But the whole roster, top to bottom, is not good enough to not get a save. So, yeah, they absolutely are going to have to figure out who Tristan Jari is. Another team on the downturn, but who still has talent? The Washington Capitals. Too much talent ahead of them to make the playoffs? Are they going to be able to to bounce back this year? What's going to be made of them? There's not a lot to like here, if I'm being honest. The more I look at their roster, man, there's going to be some dark days ahead. I'm. It took me a minute like more than a minute to remember what their goaltending situation was till I remember Tarsi Kemper was there. Yeah. Because he was uh, obviously great in Colorado, very forgettable in Washington last year. They lost Dmitry Orlov. We all know Nicholas Backstrom's great, but is he still great after the surgery? What does he have left in the tank? Kuznetsov's popping off in the media a couple weeks ago. How's that dynamic going to change the locker room? And obviously he's been on the downswing. Ovi's Ovi, you know what, for the most part, where you're getting from him. Not a lot of depth up front. You know, obviously the the Mantha for Verona trade was a disaster for the Red Wings. <laughs> it was also a disaster for Washington. The first lose-lose trade in NHL history. 
Yeah, I don't know. They Again, the pieces are there. They still have Ovechkin, Backstrom, Carlson, Kuznetsov. All of them can be great. Most of them have some warning signs that they may not be great anymore or for much longer. And with the way the Metro is structured this year, I got to tell you, I don't love the outlook for Washington right now. Yeah, that's what it boils down to. I think there's enough there where they could maybe float by if the division was weaker. Like if you're out West and you're in, you know. If they're in the Central, they're they're probably making some noise in the wild card race. But instead it's like, oh, you now have to bank on Max Pacioretty if he ever makes it back, which he had another setback in the offseason. So maybe he's back at like the end of 2023, if at all. You have to like bank on that coming and turning out for you. You have to bank on, you know, Backstrom with the newly resurfaced hip coming out and being a Backstrom of old. And I, I really don't want to discount Backstrom. One of the greatest, most underappreciated playmakers of his generation. Ovi doesn't reach the heights he does without a, a Backstrom. It goes the opposite way too, but still. Kuznetsov, like that's a big, like there's turmoil between Kuznetsov and Washington. Like he just did that Russian language interview not too long ago where he really ripped on the team in a way that wasn't pretty. And that's caused some, some strife. And he had a trade request in the past and what's going to come of that. Like that seems like a situation headed for a divorce between Kuznetsov and the team. He has to have a big year. Ovechkin's going to be Ovechkin. He's going to be a, a goal scoring superstar, but yeah, I, they have talent. I could see they're not going to be a rollover team. I could see them, you know, being in the fight all the way to the end if everything goes their way, but it's just such a stacked metro this year that I just don't know about that. Also, they didn't really improve in the offseason and they finished behind Detroit in the standings last year. Yeah, they had a, a they had a late tumble. Oh yeah. So yeah, remember how they were picking ahead of Detroit in the draft? Yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot to Detroit, huh? Teams who should be better than them on paper just tumble late and then all of a sudden yeah. yeah, that's about when Detroit starts hitting their winning streaks. Yeah, thank you, Darren Helm. <laughs> <laughs> Darren Helm was the Jack Hughes year, right? Where Darren Helm went like nutty and uh, scored a game winner. Or am I miss in Detroit? No, that was when the um, Larkin Mantha Bertuzzi line was formed, or maybe that was the Dahlin year. It was one of those two years, and they went supernova for like ten games when it didn't matter anymore. I remember New Jersey took the spot that Detroit occupied had they not, you know, won an unlikely game or two. Yeah, and then that's the year they got Jack Hughes. Yeah. Which turned out great. (laughs) The Philadelphia Flyers, a team that wished they sucked this bad last year so they could have Connor Bedard, but essentially they're going for uh, Macklin Celebrini. I think they're happy with how it worked out last year. Yes, they are happy with how it worked out last year. Obviously adding someone who they won't have for a long time, but the second best player in the draft in Matt Vemichkov. But the Philadelphia Flyers are going to probably be the worst team in the Metro. Uh, Yeah, almost certainly, unless something like, dramatic happens to one of the other teams now Couturier is going to be back but what's he going to be other than that this is absolutely a lineup to maybe watch for trades like is Carter Hart going to stay on that team Carter Hart there's a lot of you know off ice uh, question marks around him don't want to put anything out there for a certainty but the Hockey Canada investigation and that whole scandal is not complete yet and, and certain players have been implicated so we'll see how that goes but uh Philly's going to be a team that other teams try to pick over for parts, and they are very much at the bottom of their rebuild right now. They're not upset. Again, the draft went really great for them. They're thrilled with how that went, but still, uh, this they're going to be bottom feeders, and they're going to be right at the top of the lottery standings, or should be this year. But remember, at least they rebranded this year. 
They went from orange to also orange. You want to know what's funny? You see the two oranges compared. I like the old one better. This one seems more, more like brown, dull orange. I barely noticed the difference, so I'll take your word for it. I have a friend who's orange colorblind, and I sent it to him. And he just said, <laughs> he just, I was like, do you see this? And he actually thought I was playing like a prank on him. <laughs> like, Those are both brown. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, not much to say about that. If Philly does anything of consequence this year, it'll be a surprise and shame on whoever finishes behind them in the standings. Your projected standings for the Metro, what would you say? You want me to go bottom up or top down? Yeah, your call. Dealer's choice. Easier to go top down. Until proven otherwise, I'm never betting against Carolina in the regular season. So I'm going to say Carolina takes the division again. What's not to like about New Jersey outside of their goaltending? Hard to not pick them for the top two. I think Carolina and New Jersey are kind of in their own tier in this division. So, you know, not overthinking this. Three, I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, okay. I just, you know, Sid, Malkin, Latang, they know they're coming up on the end of it. Again, I like the moves Dubas made. Jari has been mostly good in the regular season. Again, playoffs are a different conversation, but regular season prediction. And, you know, you got the reigning Norris Trophy winner. You can say what you want about Eric Carlson's defense, but when he's moving the puck up to that group of forwards, things are going to happen mostly in a positive way. Um, so I like what Pittsburgh did. And they're, this tier of next, like, three or four teams are mostly interchangeable. So when push comes to shove, I'm going to take Sidney Crosby over the competition. Four, I'm going to go to the New York Rangers. For all the obvious reasons I mentioned, loaded top to bottom, just a matter of finally piecing it together and, you know, hopefully outplaying their depth. Uh, number five, this one's, man, this one's tough. This is where I really start to struggle placing teams. I'm going to go with the Islanders again, just the consistency they show constantly Never fully count them out. They're going to be hanging around the playoff race to the bitter end if if they don't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, decent possibility they do get in. Six, I'm going to go Columbus. Just because I, I just feel like people are ignoring how many players they were missing last year. Like, they were not the same team last year. Yeah. And then they added on top of that, they have the relief of not having to deal with Mike Babcock. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, set the world on fire, be a playoff team, anything like that. But I don't hate them on paper. Seven, I'm going to go Washington. They are just so old. I have a hard time believing they they are capable of staying healthy at this point. Like, realistically, there is no youth on that team of consequence. And... You know, like you said, the injuries have already started to pile up. You got the OV goal chase that'll keep them motivated, but I don't, I don't love what's going around on with that team around that. And then in a very distant eighth, that I've, distant, I think Washington to the Islanders is interchangeable. I think the Rangers and Penguins could be very interchangeable. I do not have anybody in this division in the same category as Philly. Okay, they are comfortably the worst team in the division. Like, if you told me, I have Washington 7th here, if you told me they made the playoffs, I wouldn't be that surprised. Mm -hmm. I'd be mildly surprised, but it wouldn't shock me. If you told me the Flyers made the playoffs, 
I would absolutely not believe you unless I was in the building to watch a Flyers playoff game. Okay, so I have I actually have the Devils winning. I'm going to continue. I'm going to assume that between Vanacek and Schmid, they they get the goaltending they need. I have Carolina very close behind. It'll be a neck and neck race between those two, and you might see the two new powerhouses of the Eastern Conference, and they take the title away from the Atlantic in that regard. But we haven't done our Atlantic preview yet, so maybe too too soon to speak. I have the Rangers in a divisional seed. You know, I really do like what Pittsburgh has done. I agree with you, but I don't know that it's enough to overcome what Pittsburgh or what the Rangers have already on their roster. That is very dependent on what Kako and Lafreniere can do. And I mean, I've been hoping for that one to turn around for a long time because it just does not make sense for those two guys to not turn out to be way better. But we'll see how that one goes. Pittsburgh right after that at fourth. I think, as we mentioned, Kyle Dubas did what he needed to do to give Crosby and Malkin enough to work with. I think that's going to be a wild card contending team. I'm not going to start betting against the Islanders. I, I was almost tempted to push them lower, but you know, you have Ilya Sorokin. I don't think you're going to finish lower than fifth. And I think this is actually maybe I'm underappreciating them because they have Sorokin. So I have them right behind Pittsburgh. I'll put Columbus right behind them as well. I agree with you. You stay a little healthier. You add the young talent that you had. A big question mark is going to be how is, you know, Vincent going to come in and, and coach this team? It's been a lot of drama. Is that room really settled after the whole Babcock situation? We'll see. Well, believe it or not, off-ice drama does count. They're uh, jubilant and revitalized, <laughs> even though Babcock was only there for a couple months. That is that is a huge plus, not a negative. That room has come together. You know it's a good episode when Brad uses the word jubilant. When Brad's reaching into his uh, his dictionary, this is a, a we are in mid-season form already. Oh, we are rolling now. We don't need Evan back. I'm kidding. And then behind them, I have Washington for the reasons Brad stated. I think it's going to be tough for them to to move forward. I They could end up making me look stupid, but still. And then Philly, yeah, distant eighth. That's just where they are in their rebuild. That's our Metro Division preview. Let us know what you think. We'll see how wrong we are. And of course, as I mentioned before, we are getting all of Evan's picks as well. So we'll see how his compare and, and we'll track those throughout the year. Okay, some quick news here. Dmitry Pachelnikov, he and another prospect has been have been loaned to Admiral in the a, in the KHL until the end of the season. So he's going to get some more big league time over there. There's a, a couple other moves going in either direction, but essentially we might see more of Dmitry Pachelnikov in you know pro level KHL top level Russian hockey. Which, if you're a Red Wings fan wondering about the second round draft pick, that was a big surprise and this kind of uh, mysterious player that people didn't really zero in on before the draft this is what you want to see news out of russia is so hard to get right now in terms of the hockey sphere so if he's playing more khl minutes and that's actually how this turns out that is like best case scenario for detroit that would be amazing but i'm slightly confused this admiral team you speak of i've never heard of them i'm going to need the full team name here ryan i got it for you one second (laughs) i i was hoping you wouldn't make me do it admiral vladivostok I will give you a, a passing grade, I assume. Thank you. You are of Eastern European descent, so you can tell me if my my accent was offensive or passable. Uh, no, I can't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would go with Vladivostok, but I don't know for sure because, you know, my family moved over from Ukraine. Oh... A hundred or so years ago. So, oh, so I, you're only five years old when that happened. I, I feel like we lost the accent at some point. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then in NHL news, there's actually some big pieces here. 
Gary Bettman mentioned today, and he was very careful to say that this is a really preliminary and things can change. And we've seen over the last you know five or so years pre-COVID that in terms of the salary cap, things do change over the course of a season. But the preliminary estimate for next year's salary cap is anywhere from 87 to 88 million. Currently, it's 83 and a half, so it's a three and a half to three point five to four point five million dollar increase this year to next. This isn't a surprise; it's an estimate, so it could change wildly. But it's not a surprise. This is kind of what folks were projecting as the players' escrow debt to the owners was paid off. Revenues kind of came back. They have all the gambling revenue coming in. They are advertising the hell out of everything, so you know they're getting more revenue that way, and so the salary cap is going to jump after being fl- painfully flat for a lot of teams for a long time. So what to make of that? Uh, I'm cool if they shave a mill off that if we get rid of the uh, board ads. They won't do that. I know they yeah. won't do that. As it was reported, they actually have a lot of feedback, believe it or not, that uh, people really like the board ads. I, I have been hearing <laughs> absolutely none of that. In terms of the actual salary cap increase, so this is what teams have been waiting for for a long time. Oh yeah, 100%. It's one Ben Schrott. Yeah, like it is going to make big contracts that were signed a lot more palatable. If you thought, you know, to take a Detroit example, not because of the, I think this is the best example, but just so it's relatable. If you thought Dylan Larkin was overpaid as per the cap now, that softens the blow. If you thought, you know, Tom Wilson's contract was too high if you're Washington, that softens the blow. It's why negotiations have been, I think, a little bit more strained of late up and down, like either your biggest paid players or, you know, bottom tier guys because they know in a year you're going to have enough cap relief to pay your superstar player the big raise he's going to deserve or add you know one to two to three depth pieces or young players on ELCs like this is really going to move the needle even if it's just three and a half million dollars teams are going to be unlocked from a lot of the handcuffing they've had over the the past however long part of that has been cap mismanagement but no one predicted COVID right and that's what froze the salary cap and when teams when good teams design their cap structure, they're thinking three, five, ten years out. Maybe not ten, but they're thinking out a long time. And COVID happened and it ruined a ton of plans and teams had to stay in stasis and, and make a lot of tough decisions. We're now trending back to things are going to open up more. So if you're a team with a lot of cap space, you lose some leverage. But we'll see how it affects you know the bigger contracts. Uh, Elias Pettersson is going to be happy about this. Players like that are going to be happy about this. You have to imagine. Mo Sider. Yeah. I mean, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond haven't signed yet, and any agent worth their weight is going to be looking at those cap increases and saying, yep, we are factoring this that into the negotiation. You do not get to negotiate at a rate of $83.5 million being your cap because we know by the time our contract's going to be done, it's going to be $90 million plus. So I think the, the cap or the contract negotiations are going to continue to be interesting for the next two to three years. More news. Speaking of contracts, Trevor Zegras finally signed a bridge deal. So I don't know that necessarily it was the best thing for the Anaheim Ducks, but he signed a short-term contract. They finally met in price. It's a $5.75 million per year deal over the course of three years. So very obviously Zegras wants to prove more and get his big deal. I don't know if he was holding out for like a Matt Boldy number or something and eventually settled with 5.75. And very obviously Pat Verbeek is comfortable waiting to see on Zegris because he's not sure that he's going to kind of have the kind of output that deserved, you know, a $7 million or a long-term contract. 
I need you to tell me if I'm way off base here because I hate this contract for the Ducks. I don't like it for the Ducks either. No, I, I think Zegris comes out of this great. Yeah, the AAV is probably a little less than he deserves, but this is walking him dangerously close to UFA. So if he wanted to pull kind of the Dubois to it path and go, I'm just going to keep signing until I get to UFA and then I'm going to get the bag. And, you know, another example of maybe a player wanting to control his own destiny a little more than players used to. Yeah. You know, obviously it's not a one-to-one comparison to those two players, but he's still getting a decent payday. And that next contract at the end of three years is going to be substantial. So the Ducks aren't competing in three years. So don't love this for them. I don't see the upside for Anaheim on this at all, actually. I I see the risk assessment here. We've said it on the podcast before. We really like Trevor Zegers as a player. Plays a key position. If they're going to be a contender in the future, he's going to be one of the centerpieces of that, of course. I don't know that he's going to be the player. There's other uh, you know, star talents on that team that I think might emerge and surpass him even, but he's also highly marketable. Whether you like it or not, that matters for teams. He's going to sell a shit ton of jerseys and that players are now wise to that. No longer are they going to not bring that up in negotiations. But almost like what we've said about Lucas Raymond, his sophomore year wasn't the best and it caused some doubts of will he be you know, a point-per-game player in the NHL or is he going to settle in somewhere lower than that? Zegers also has shown a little bit where you're not sure if he's going to be a superstar. What if he's just, you know, I don't say this lightly, but what if he's just a run-of-the-mill star player? What if he's a 60 to 75-point guy who's very flashy and can get you those totals regularly, but he's not going to be the number one driving uh, force to to bring you to a cup run or something like that? So I understand the hesitation. It's not that. But the design of the contract, in my mind, is very anti-Ducks interest. I, I fully understand the hesitancy with Zegris. But you could have done, obviously he, again, it's a negotiation. He might have said no to this at all costs, but a one or a two year bridge made way more sense than three for Anaheim. The closer they get him to UFA, the more it's going to cost them. And since the cap hit on this contract does not matter because they are not going to be competing on this contract. Yeah. You figured you'd want, you'd want to get him to that next contract sooner rather than later. So you can get him before that dollar amount goes up and up and up and up because if he has three big years on this contract they are screwed obviously they're going to be happy that he's good but they'll spend an extra two three million dollars per year versus what they otherwise would have had to okay more nhl news the expansion conversation is continuing fair or not Atlanta is one of the centerpieces, or I shouldn't say centerpieces, one of the, at the forefront of teams there competing for a potential, you know, expansion spot. Bettman has done his lawyer speak and said, you know, there's no plans at this time, but there's been a ton of interest. I've maintained on the show, I think we're going to have, by the time the year 2030 comes around, we'll either have plans for or close to having plans for 36 teams. I think they're going to go for more. I think having a, a billion dollar plus expansion fee is just too much for owners to say no to. I was a big proponent for staying at 30 teams and now I think 32 is the max and someone might point to me and say, well, that's arbitrary. Why would you say that? And they'd be right. And that's why I think ultimately they are going to expand further. 
But, you know, there's a ton of teams here. There's Salt Lake City, there's Houston, and those two have been linked to if the Coyotes have to move. Quebec City is always going to be there. Portland, because they've seen what's worked out in Seattle, and they, they think there's a bigger sports, you know, market there. Toronto, the great, uh, greater Toronto area. New York is supporting however many teams in that region. Toronto absolutely would be printing money by adding another team there. I think this conversation is not going away, and I think it's it, there's a lot of fire where there is smoke with Atlanta, especially being at the forefront. I'm going to have two dramatically different opinions on this subject. So okay. we're going to start with the good. The amount of talent in the hockey world nowadays, this league could comfortably support 36 teams without watering down the product at all. No doubt about it, 1,000%. And like you said, what the expansion fees cost and the money they're making, they'd be crazy not to. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally free money. And you have so many viable markets that can do this. Quebec City would be a huge monetary boon from attendance. Houston, one of the biggest untapped markets. Salt Lake City seems like it's very hot to trot. And, you know, you could rattle off. I I think I even saw San Diego on a list today of teams that could be potentially interested. And that's a pretty big metropolis. And say what you want, hockey in California has worked. So you can't discount San Diego at all if they have strong ownership. I am fully on board for them to go nuts in expansion over the next five to ten years. Not Atlanta. (laughs) It's failed twice. And I understand ownership. It's not always on the fan base. Atlanta is a huge metropolis. You market it right. You get a winning team. It's a whole different story. Maybe the Thrashers survive. I was, I saw a tweet from someone today that's from the Atlanta area that where they're talking about this arena, it's an hour outside of Atlanta. How well did that work for Phoenix? Like, Am, am I crazy? Like, am I missing something here? You get into these huge metropolises that aren't necessarily hockey hotbeds, and then you don't put them in the metropolis. You put them in the burbs. I. It depends on how the region's constructed, and we're not going to turn this podcast into yeah, like I, an assessment of highway systems and everything. Yeah, is this like Ottawa, or is this something a little more functional? I don't know, but I, not to ever call Atlanta traffic good because I. From everything I understand, it's among the worst in the world, like mentioned up there with LA and Toronto, but it seems to be where it would be located would be accessible for all of the money in the Atlanta metro area. Yeah. And I don't know enough about the details of that. So everything I'm saying could be completely moot. And they're like, oh yeah, no, this actually will work really well, but I'm pretty sure that's what they said in Phoenix too. Uh, So I'm going to err on the side (laughs) of uh, pessimism when it comes to situations like this. Yes. um, Until I am proven wrong. And I hope I'm proven wrong because anybody who's been listening to this podcast for years, I'm on record as saying this. I need these Thrasher jerseys back in my life. Oh, the one sleeve. I miss those so much. All of them. All of them. They had very few misses on their jerseys, and I know that's a controversial opinion. The basketball style was terrible, though. Yeah, yeah. The, any where yeah. it's just text and a number, every one of those jerseys universally is terrible. But outside of that one, all their jerseys, A+, plus. need them in my life, need to watch the Red Wings going down to Atlanta just so we can get a visual of those. What a terrible era for hockey where it was just like the stars. When Reebok came in, they ruined hockey jerseys. Oh, God. It was... I'm so happy. Dallas's we're, we're awful. Freaking who is it that Washington's still using it for some reason? Colorado, Florida, nightmare jerseys. At least Washington's had a historical reference, though. Like that was kind of a classic. 
Well, they're still wearing it. It's their classic jersey. And when they wear their throwbacks, universally loved, yet they don't graduate from the piping apocalypse. I don't. Oh, the piping. Oh, God. But yeah, and those text jerseys were right in the middle of that same apocalypse. But either way, the OG Thrasher's jersey, the baby blue Thrasher's jerseys, this is the only reason I want Atlanta to work. Okay, there's going to be more on expansion, and there's actually some other league news, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on here. Before overtime, I want to do a quick call-out. For folks who don't know, Wings Money on the Board is an initiative that we started in, uh, you know, we and Prashant Iyer, who hosts Expected by Whom, another show in the kind of the Winged Wheel podcast network. Uh, He hosts that with Sean Shapiro. Anyhow, we and Prashant started this initiative in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation and basically capitalizing on all of the incredible work that the Red Wings fan community does and through your amazing, amazing support, through Wings Money on the Board, Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA, and some other you know initiatives are on Twitter. Uh, there's a Reddit user, Denver Law 14, who kickstarted one of the original drives to raise money for the foundation. You know, over a hundred thousand dollars has been raised through this and those other initiatives. And so, Wings Money on the Board has grown to be a great thing. But with that, uh, we're we're doing a call out for help. So uh, this is you know we're looking for someone who's willing to volunteer their time to uh, help support this charity initiative, you know, to, to fully clarify here, we're not looking for, you know, you're not going to be uh, using your precious time to support the winged wheel podcast. This will be for wings money on the board. So we hope that that kind of makes it a little bit more desirable. You don't have to worry about us schmucks and it's for a good cause. And it's, you know, we are looking for backend support in terms of administration organization. This thing has grown where it needs, you know, the kind of time and eyes and hands that we just don't have consistently right now. We want to, we don't want to lose the growth and great progress we have for wings money on the board. So if you are interested, uh, email us at wingedwheelpodcast at gmail.com and put in the subject line wings MOTB. Let us know a bit about yourself, maybe uh, any experience or history you have in the space, uh, working with any kind of organization, charities, uh, volunteering or, or anything like that. And I can tell you a little bit more about the role as well that we're looking for. So again, email us wingedwheelpodcast at gmail.com, subject line wings MOTB. Okay, let's jump into a quick overtime here. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast if you want to support the show. Everything we do in the show is made possible by our patrons. You know, the continued growth and production and hopefully improvement of the Winged Wheel podcast uh, running expected by whom hosted by Sean and Prashanth, the you know support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation running Winged Wheel podcast nights at the LCA. That's all through our patrons. Uh, by becoming a patron, you get various benefits such as access to our Winged Wheel podcast exclusive uh, Patreon Discord and all the great communities within there. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. For example, last year we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game. The vast majority are going to our Patreon supporters, and we're doing the same thing this year. And you also get access to all of our bonus overtime and any bonus content uh, that we create episodes, which are hosted on Patreon. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. You get all those benefits and more and support the dub dub club. Okay. Comment here from Cletus says, what are your predictions for who leads the team in hits this season? I have a feeling that Costin is quickly going to be a fan favorite in Detroit after seeing him in preseason. Ben Sherratt. Yeah, a healthy Rasmussen I could see being in the mix too. Ben Schrott's going to get a lot of ice time though. Yeah. And uh, plenty of opportunity to throw the shoulder around. Question here from Patrick J says, did any of you get a chance to watch the Toy Story NFL game? 
the big city greens range or the big city greens rangers uh, caps game last year how long do you think it'll take the nhl to give the red wings a game like this the red wings i don't know i hope the nhl follows suit because um we weren't able to catch it live but i showed hank and mika the highlights of that jags game after like the toy story they loved it they were absolutely enthralled so a hockey equivalent would be phenomenal Wallstead is a four-letter word, says, I think Brad dismissed this last episode, but is it possible, and if so, how likely for Danielson to play nine games with Detroit before going back to juniors? We mentioned this before uh, earlier in the episode. Like, it's certainly possible, but, you know, that might even come later in the season rather than right away. A lot would have to change in terms of injuries or, or whatever to that for that to be likely. They're only waiving someone to create a spot for him if they're giving him a legit shot to play the full season. Also thoughts on new power seeing time in Detroit at any point. He's been a surprise to me this preseason as someone who finds a way to be noticeable when he's in the lineup. It would take a lot of injuries. You got to think Edvinson's the first call. Then maybe Johansson, then maybe new power. It depends where their priorities at, right? If, if Johansson and Edvinson are in a good flow in the HL and they don't want to disrupt it, and they need a defenseman to come up to sit in the press box, maybe, you know, go in and out of the lineup. New power might be the ideal scenario for that because obviously you don't want to bring an Edvinson or Johansson up just to play every other game or something dumb like that. So I don't think it's impossible, but I don't think it's overly likely. Give Wallman the heart says things are becoming clearer as the regular season approaches. Casper seems AHL bound. Danielson has been incredibly exciting, but he'll be in the dub. The last big question is my opinion uh, in my opinion, is Simon Edvinson. Is there any good reason he shouldn't be on the wings for a majority of the season? Uh, seven healthy NHL caliber defensemen ahead of him, and he is waiver ineligible. So he's the only guy of value back there they can send down. Yep. It doesn't hurt to send Edvinson down to continue to smooth out the edges of his game. I, I've liked what I've seen from him in the preseason, honestly. I think he, if he's in an NHL roster, he is absolutely not perfect. He's not mistake-free. He's not going to have a most cider type year, but I think he's ready for an NHL roster. That said, he's coming off of a lot of lost time in the offseason because of his shoulder surgery, so it does not hurt to send him to the A. But is he technically ready for the NHL roster? I think so. It's just going to be whenever the first injuries happen. Uh, Walt Partlow says, hey guys, given that Danielson has looked better than folks expected, especially this soon, I want to ask a hypothetical. Let's say that the draft had played out the same up until Washington's pick. If they'd taken Dvorsky and Detroit is picking with Leonard and Danielson on the board still, who are you you taking knowing what you know now? Do you think Danielson Danielson is still Eisenman's pick? (laughs) I hate this question. Knowing what we know now? And after, which is basically the added context of preseason, Danielson is at this point would definitely be way higher up my board than he was at the time of the draft. So if Ryan Leonard and Nate Danielson were on the board in this scenario, knowing what we know now, I'm taking Zach Benson. (laughs) Such a shithead. Danielson wouldn't be next on my list, though. So, oh, okay. He, he, so it's not like I'm dismissing it completely and like saying I'd still take him like 15, 16, 17 in there. Yeah. Um. He he definitely has climbed the board for me substantially, which is a great problem to have. But man, Zach Benson might make the Sabers, and he was really high on my board to begin with. Yeah. It, Evan's not here, but he would practically punch a hole through this table. 
Yeah, but if you want a tiebreaker at positional premium, you could make the case for Danielson, which is a great problem to have. But yeah, yeah, like Danielson looks like he could be a really good top six center. Benson looks like he could be special right now. Glenn Brabham says, hey, lads, firstly, huge congrats to all of your recent personal achievements. Thank you, Glenn. And uh, I'll pass along your condolences to mine and Evan's uh, new wives because our personal achievements are their losses, but no much appreciated. My question is around our toughness and where we're going to find that quote unquote prick factor. It's no secret that it's been lacking in recent years, and I don't really want to see Casper doing the fighting very often. Mazer is still a little way off, so who on the roster are you looking to to set the scene and let other teams know we won't be pushed around? Cheers, boys. Stay fresh. Rasmussen, Costin, Hole, Sherratt. Yep, that's pretty much it. Rasmussen is like the personality, like he's going to set the tone for the team. Sherratt, say what you will about his game on ice, which obviously there's a lot of questions there. You cannot deny, yes, the leadership off ice, he's always the one in front of the mic after the, after the games and things like that, but he's in the mix for every scrum. I think Perron as well. Like yeah, a, a veteran forward, and he's yeah. he's like sneaky, get under your skin type. Like he really makes over the course of a sixty minute game, another team hate him. I think I've heard the same about Christian Fisher as well. Yeah, Christian Fisher can have an edge to his game. With all of and let's be honest, you don't want him fighting, but Mo Sider is often in the mix. I like the I like the angle Mo Sider has taken, like not taking shots from everyone. We saw his first ever game in the NHL with Tampa Bay and you know, punching everyone, which is great. But I don't want to see him dropping the gloves and doing an Anthony Mantha break your hands type thing. He'll be in the scrum and he'll punch someone back and the the entire team will get there and that's how it goes. So not to the degree where he's dropping the gloves, but most siders also in that mix. Yeah, the the team that Eiserman and Lalonde have built is, is there a Tom Wilson? Is there, you know, the guy? Maybe not, but I think as far as many teams or any team will have enough like don't mess with us factor Detroit is, has reached a sufficient standard in my mind Casper and Mazer will help one day they will I think that's going to be a really underappreciated part of Casper's game even if he doesn't turn out to be a top six center he's like a bonafide third line guy you hope that he's as close to Gabe Landeskog as humanly possible okay we're going to wrap up this episode of the winged wheel podcast uh, we'll be back with you on Sunday. Hopefully Evan will be revived from the dead by then. That's going to be our Atlantic Division preview. And we're getting really close to the start of the season. So we'll have wrapped up preseason by then. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to say Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. There are a finite amount of tickets. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings or go to the link in the description of this episode. Get your tickets today. And if you want to go above and beyond to support us, patreon.com slash Podcast. This show is only made possible by our patrons. If you want to support us and Patreon is just isn't for you, what you can do is leave a rating wherever you listen to the podcast or hit subscribe as well. Tell a friend. It really does make a difference. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, but for now, we're going to wrap up by thanking all of our name-level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad owes me a beanie, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Sizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek N. Stam, DJ Denton, Exquisitine Buble, Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, 
Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, What's That Smell, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Ain't No Shame, and Rogaine, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, Jer- James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X, formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll be back with you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.